In the Wild West world of podcasting, there is one podcast that is authentic and genuine and continues to stand tall in its originality. Based on a passion for his guests, their work, and his love of podcasting, Derek Thomas and Monday Morning Critic Podcast get amazing, diverse, unique guests found nowhere else. The variety and quality are endless. There is something for everyone. Derek Thomas is the hero you deserve. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector. Welcome to Monday Morning Critic Podcast. Here is Derek Thomas. Hi, Chad. How are you? I'm well. Sorry. Taylor called me unexpectedly when we were strategizing something, and I just lost track of time. But uh, my you chose, you chose, you chose Taylor. Late. You chose Taylor over me. How dare you? I did momentarily. It won't happen again. I promise. All right. I appreciate that. We're All good right, with that it. then. All so, right. Chad, I have to say, you're the second editor I've had on um, over like 415 interviews. I had Paul Hirsch early on. Holy hell, Paul Hirsch. That's good company to be in. It is. It is. And I swear, every time I think I understand an editor's job, I don't. It's like producer for me. No matter how many times somebody explains it to me, I still don't get it. Like, I mean, nobody I knows what those people do. <laughs> I get parts of what, like, I get parts of what an editor does, and I think I, it's, I, I'm looking at it like too simplistically, right? I feel like um, everybody knows what an editor is in, in, in the role, but like, I'm always uncertain of how much power you have in like the final product and how that works. Give me a way of looking at it, or maybe somebody watching, wondering exactly what an editor does. Because um, I know it's a hard job. I know it's a difficult job. I just don't know the intricacies of it. It's really difficult to explain. It's become less difficult over time as kids that are like young get their hands on phones that they can make little movies for themselves. So they understand what the act of it is. But in 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 a professional environment, it is a it is a big role. So. To, to, Break it all down. I mean, so there's there's several hundred people that go out and shoot a script. There's actors, there's crew people, there's lighting, you know, all, all sorts of things. And, and it's on a, on a big show like ours, it's several hundred people. And then they they take the footage that they've acquired and they they send it down and to you know, assistants, the pipeline, all that. And eventually it comes down to one person. It's either, and that's the editor. So it's me or, or you know, someone else on our team who's an editor. And we assemble every time you see something on screen or you hear a line of dialogue, an editor put it there. Everything. So every picture, every time you change picture, every every time you hear a sound effect, an editor usually placed it there first. So everything, the entire the entire program, everything that you see was placed there by an editor. And um, what's interesting about the job is that there's different levels of responsibility that, that, that different editors have. I mean, you could, you could be a, someone who puts all that together and then, you know, a director or producer might come and says, all right, change every single thing. And you work with them and you try to find a version of the show that feels right. It's like, you know what, that shot where you're close on someone's face, make it wider. Okay. Go back to the shot where we can see the entire room. So you go back and forth and you, and you make, you manipulate the picture and the sound and, and you just, you, change it to what that person wants it to be um can that be frustrating chad uh well it can be i mean it's it especially when you're young it's frustrating i yeah. think that the older that you get and the more experience that you get certainly my feeling has been that like uh there's about uh, here's how i like to look at it there's like a 90 percent objectively good and bad in tvs and films you know and then the last 10 percent is subjective it's up to the viewer so whoever gets to have the last word you're, you're seeing their 10 percent uh, as I like to call it. So, you know, if, if I'm in a session with our with our mixers and they've done fabulous work and I'm like, you know what, I like this, but I, I would like to hear something a little bit different. This is just my 10%. And so um, 
you know, when it's when it's a show, when Taylor shows, he's the last eyes on it. So if we want to change something, we change it for him. It becomes it's it's not frustrating to me anymore. It's just like okay, people are different; they want to see different things, and it's a it's an art form that everyone experiences subjectively on their own. Even though millions of people see it, each each person is having a subjective experience, and so I don't you know I don't take it personally, and and I just I, that's what I chalk it up to. And I think to have a long career doing this job, you have to have an attitude at least similar to that. You just can't. You, you you can't constantly be fighting uh, someone else's opinion because it's what they're just telling you how they think and how they feel and what the materials what response materials creating for them. Yeah, you can't take everything personally. You go you you drive yourself bonkers if you did that. Yeah. You know? um, do you do you ever run the risk of upsetting like an actor who said, "Oh my god, I can't believe that scene didn't make it," or a composer whose piece of music didn't make that cut, or a cinematographer whose beautifully shot scene doesn't get in the final final edit. The, are you all of the, those things i have done all of those things and i yeah. know and not just like i'm I conceptually know like i actually have have had that response you know over the i've been doing this job for over 20 years like yes you're gonna yeah. you're gonna upset a few people um but that's you can't think of it that way and you can't that can't be the thing that is the you know the overriding principle that guides my decision making for sure um you know if if, if you can tell when you when you get footage in and some shot was huge a lab you can tell like there's a lot of gear there this is expensive big cranes or whatever the set decoration was whatever the props are uh you can tell when a shot was really hard to do but if it doesn't advance the story you can't you can't put it in you know if, if it if it stops everything in its tracks then then that means it doesn't get to be in the tv show or in the movie and those can be difficult decisions um to explain to people but they're not really difficult to make you know because you know from when i'm putting it together i have to just trust what my instincts are that's why i've been hired that's why i am here for my instincts and then once my instinct once i've put that together the way i would like to see it then then i show it to taylor and then we make it what taylor wants to see and and usually he and i are pretty damn close and that's why we've had a successful working relationship for so many years at this point um but you know, it's 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 a small number of folks that 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 ultimately make that final decision on what goes in the show and what doesn't make it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what kind of kid were you growing up, Chad? You, you cinephile like me? Were you a nerdy kid growing up? Couldn't couldn't stay away from the television. Oh, I was kind of very nerdy. I was very nerdy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't like really a cinephile. I loved movies. I remember, you know, I remember going to see E.T. in the movie theater when it came out. I remember standing in line for. Um, you know, for Return of the Jedi, I did all those things. I am, I am a, a person of that of that age, yeah. and so um, I remember the spectacle of movies. I, um, when I was younger, I, I would write and put on like I'm talking seven or eight years old. I would put on little plays in my backyard with my friends, and I would make the you know we would just make these little detective stories. I didn't have a video camera. I grew up in the 80s. I was born in the 70s. Grew up in the 80s. Video cameras were incredibly expensive when I was young. Big time, and, big time, big time. Yeah, and they were huge, and they were just we didn't have one. Uh, in fact, I didn't. I don't. I didn't have a video camera really until I got to film school. Um, I didn't even have a cell phone when I got when I first got to film school twenty some odd years ago. So um, it was just, uh, but the imagination was there. And I would, and I had this swing set, and and I had this character. I was a detective. My friend was always the bad guy, and, and no matter what the play was, it ended with him being either shot by me or something, and he'd have to fall off the swing set because my friend was willing to do that. So we had a stunt in every one of these plays that we that we put together, and we would just show them my, my family, my mom, or or whoever. So I was imaginative like that. I was um, I was a musician. I you know for about half my life, I, I was you know clarinet, saxophone, trombone. Used to compose electronic music. So music was a big part of my life. Still is a big part of my life. So, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, a lot of years ignoring that and pretending that I was going to go to medical school and be a doctor. But really, it was a fear of not wanting to acknowledge that what I wanted to do was make movies and tell stories. And it took me into my 20s to acknowledge that about myself. But once I did, I never looked back. 
Yeah, that's really good. Uh, what can you say? And you went to USC film school, right? I did. Yeah, I went to UC Davis as an undergraduate. I have a sociology degree. Again, I was going to be pre-med, switched as a sophomore. And when I switched my major as an undergraduate, I decided I was at least going to apply to film school. And I applied to USC and thankfully I got in. Yeah, that's that's excellent. Um, you know, it's I imagine your background with music helps you create, you know, in your editing journey, right? Because I had... um. Andrew Lockington, whose score in um, oh, he's a good friend of mine. Yeah, he his his score in Lioness was was incredible, and he's like a super nice guy. And it was like, yeah, I, he had, he, I mean, talk about a guy that like you, close to Taylor. Taylor trusts him on his projects, and mm-hmm. and, and I could see why with both you guys, why Taylor does trust you and really goes to you guys often. When I'm doing a show with Andrew, we talk almost every day. So we did uh, Mayor of Kingstown season one. I did, and then um, I was working on some of these, you know, other shows when they did season two. So I wasn't involved in that. But season one, I talked to Andrew almost every day. When we were doing Lioness, I talked to Andrew almost every day. Um, not the relationship with an editor and composer isn't always that close, but but I feel fortunate that mine was with him. And if, if I think it's ideal if it is that close. And yes, I am able to communicate musically. Like Andrew is a professional expert composer, yeah, yeah. you know. So I am someone who has a who's a, a you know, better than layman's understanding of music, perhaps you know, just from my background. But um, but I do know how to speak in emotional terms about what I'm looking for, or in terms of the energy that I'm looking for. So he will what what Andrew likes to do, which is incredibly helpful to someone like me. He'll just send a bunch of sketches and ideas about how the themes of the story are speaking to him, and right. I'll just start dropping those in the cut and see where they fit. And then um, what's fun about our relationship is he will tell me he tells me this all the time. You know, I, I will put things in places that he wasn't expecting, but that he likes, and then he'll take that and and vamp on, it. and then ultimately all of that goes to to Taylor. But yeah, he and I, he and I, um, there is a lot of trust in the in the you know, the group of folks that have been working with Taylor for a long time in some of the key departments. And so we are just off playing in a sandbox together, Andrew and I, for quite a while and then show it to Taylor and nine times out of 10, he's happy with what we've come up with. And if he's not, he tells us and we we make changes. But um, the musical background is incredibly important because it, music is a very powerful tool. It can be overused. You have to be careful. Uh, you, you can't use it everywhere all the time or else it just becomes it stops meaning anything. So one of the, you know, to me, one of the benefits of understanding music well is, is also knowing when, when to turn it off, you know, and just when to let the words and the script uh, tell the story. So, you know, again, then that's all the job of an editor. These are all things yeah. that you wouldn't think of an editor doing, but it is very much a part of the job. And um, it's probably my favorite part of the job, to be honest. Yeah. And you know, the, the life of a um, composer can be one of solitude, uh, as far as professionally speaking, not mm-hmm. their personal life. Um, mm-hmm. the, the life of a cinematographer, maybe a little more. There's more people involved. Where would you put an editor on that scale? Like, where would you- like in the in the composer realm? I mean, it depends. You know, when I did reality TV, I'd be in an office with 25 other editors and producers, and then we were constantly talking to each other and bouncing ideas off. Well, in our early seasons of Yellowstone, there were three of us editing, but we were all in the same building. We would see all the time, "Hey, come in here, look at this. What do you think about this?" And and we would we would show each other cuts to, of scenes that we had worked on um, with my assistant editors, always when we were working together in person, like, Hey, come take a look at this. Tell me what you think. Those opinions were, everyone's opinion was valuable to me. So now it's more that COVID isolated us as, as much as anything else. There's a, there's a stereotype of editors being locked into dark rooms and not talking to anybody. It's not, it's, it's really not true. I mean, right. the best editors I know are very social people, people who understand how to communicate with, with other people because the job requires an understanding of, of human motivation, behavior, emotions, and, 
and being able to read cues from people. So you, you tend to find the best editors are people who just, who, who have an easy time getting along with, with others, or at least understanding other people and, and who are very social. And so I certainly count myself in, in that group. Um, I, and now, I mean, I, now I see my, what's nice is I have a young daughter, I have a six year old and, and a wife and, and I edit at home and I see them all the time, which was not the case before. So the, the, it's, it's flipped a bit. Um, whereas I spend a lot of time in rooms with other people that I work with. And I also see Taylor. I see, even though he lives in Texas, I see him every week or two. I fly out there. Wow. Well, can you watch a movie with your, like your wife or daughter and not be an editor? Like, can you be a fan? Like not related to your work. Can you watch something in the theater or at home and not have the temptation to say, hmm, I probably would have cut that. I would have done that. I, I can, but it's it's hard. Like when a movie, when I when I think a movie is great, I will realize after the fact that I wasn't thinking about the craft of it at all. When oh, I'm really into a movie. Yeah. And when I get when I don't like a movie and I get bored, I'm like, ah, oh, they should, I would have done this or that or that. And, and I, I'm not alone in that. But you just no. start picking apart things. Yeah. And and for me, yeah, like like the, how how somebody's cut, what shot we're on. Um, you never know unless you've cut the movie yourself. If like maybe they didn't have the shot that you would have loved to put there. Maybe there's an editor on the other side of that that was sitting in that chair going, man, I wish I had this shot. And I'm watching this yeah. audience member like, why didn't they use? such and such yeah so you it's but but yes i do i do have those judgments and opinions um and it's it, it is it, it, they're instinctual so i don't really turn them off but i i they they just sort of become very very quiet the more engaged i am in the movie and i still yes. love living losing myself in the movies i mean that's still a thrill watching movies or watching shows with other people is still my favorite thing to do it's the best part nah, of the job such a great quote um yeah. let, let me ask you this before we get into specifically some of the work you've done um sure. how did you how did you and taylor develop your rapport uh, randomly, I, you know, I was a reality editor for a long, long time. I worked on the Hills. I worked in the bachelor. I was a reality editor for about 15 years. And in that life, I had a good friend of mine, uh, who, who was a reality editor as well. And we were close. Like he was, you know, one of my closest friends in the business. We were just always like from those early days, we just always ended up in the same shows. Often our offices were close together. Well, separately, he had been friends with Taylor Sheridan for, for 20, they're going on 25 years at this point, just friends, like outside of the world of, of TV and everything. When Taylor was, you know, a starving actor trying to make it in Los Angeles and they stayed friends the entire time. So when Yellowstone season one happened, my friend, the reality editor went to work for Taylor as a, as a producer, like on set producer for him. Right. And when they needed, um, they needed help uh, editing. And so, uh, Taylor asked if he knew any great reality editors and uh, and my friend very fortunately gave him my name. I flew out to Utah and met Taylor. I cut a scene for him and um, he liked it and we just hit it off personality wise. And um, I have only worked for him ever since that day. Uh, being a reality editor to me seems like tricky business because you're, you have people's actual lives unfolding. I feel like there, it's, it's a little more from outside looking in, maybe being a little naive. It, it can be tricky because you're dealing with people's lives. You're seeing stuff that is just off the wall compared to what you're doing now. It, it, am I looking at it correctly? Is is it a different beast? Reality television? It's, 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 it's not as different as you might think. It's all storytelling. You know, the, the, the right. difference is that there's like a stigma about reality TV. I mean, reality TV is awesome to work. It's really fun yeah, and it's course. really it. hard. Yeah. Um, but because you're, you're shaping a story the way that, you know, you, you're still shaping a story. People want to still see the same things that they see in a scripted show. People falling in love, getting angry, you know, like all revenge, all of these things. But you have to craft it out of just mountains and mountains and mountains of material. And as far as the responsibility that you have to other people's lives, you know, with the shows that I worked on, which were these, um, they became these big, you know, like, uh, kind of like legacy franchise reality shows. People signed up for what they signed up for. I mean, they knew what they were getting into. You, you can't really think about that 
uh, when you're putting a show together, just as, you know, in a, in a scripted show, there might be something that's really horrifically violent or uncomfortable. I have, you know, you don't think about that at the time. You're just putting together the best version of the material that you possibly can. Um, you become aware of people's lives and, and all that. And, and in some of these reality shows I worked on, you see in the press, the ramifications of some of the things that would happen. Um, so, but, but ultimately my responsibility is to put together the best version of the show that I can. And then, um, you know, I, I don't have control of the other stuff or how people react to it. So it was kind of a strange job to do, but, um, I really, I did enjoy it. And, and, you know, I, I, I didn't go to bed feeling bad about myself. You know, I, I, I was usually like, I slept well at night and you know, knowing that like we were just putting together the best version of what we had. These people had signed up for it. They were willing participants. And, um, most of the times they were very happy in, and if there was embarrassment, it was minor and, and temporary. Absolutely. I get it. Uh, so I just finished, uh, spe- well, I didn't just finish. I finished Special mm-hmm. Ops Lioness. What a wonderful last episode. You like it? And, and, uh, no, I didn't like it. I loved it. Uh, Andrew's music plays a huge part. And exactly. I want to tell you what I told Andrew, and you tell me if you if you agree or disagree. Mm-hmm. I love the way that, they, that Cruz looks beat up through the entire series. I love that mm-hmm. they didn't put like where she's injured one episode and five minutes later, the bruise and everything's gone. Like, I feel like it adds to the depth of her character because she is going through hell. She has been through hell and back, and she's and she just can't get out. She just can't get out. And I love yeah. the way her appearance looks like she's been in a boxing match every single show. I don't. I thought it added to her. To, to, to the character. I'm glad you felt that way. I agree. I mean, we really beat the hell out of her in episode two. I mean, the episode is called the beating, and and that was actually weirdly the first episode that I put together uh, was that episode too. So it was we just dove right into all that. Hard stuff. to watch that episode. Yeah, it is uh, hard to watch, and that was the goal. Unfortunately, I mean, it was uh, again wasn't really hard to put together because you see the artifice of it when you're putting it together. There's an action. There's a cut. I know all these people are fine, but my goal when I put it together is that if I, if I am uncomfortable watching it, that makes me feel like I've done my job properly. Right, and that, right. you know, even knowing all of the, of what I know about what's happening behind the scenes. Um, so yeah, very uncomfortable, um, but necessary really to, to, to define her character. And um, Lysla did, you know, perform that role exceptionally well. And I think that her, her appearance and always being like battered and bruised was a really important part of her character. And uh, yeah, she never got away from it. And she was always having to explain it. She was having to explain the bruises on her bodies, you know, when, when the, when Alia first sees it and, um, you know, make up a lie about how she'd been mm. injured. And so, yeah, it's a constant thing that she's battling and um, she's constantly trying to disguise her identity in, in every way. And it's, it's sort of like the world is just beating her down and she has to just try to maintain calm through all of it. So, Anyway, it it worked for me, and I'm glad it worked for you as well. You know, and and uh, Zoe's character, I felt like, is going through the same type of turmoil um, mm-hmm. as far as keeping her family life together. I mean, what's happening to her daughter is just god awful. I mean, you, I have a daughter, you have a daughter. I, yep. you know, so it's like I'm thinking about her the whole time. Then I'm thinking about what she's going through in her personal life. Then she's trying to to, to keep our the, the defense of the country together in her mm-hmm. own little way or big way. Yeah, but like. Even you can see the turmoil on her. I don't know. It's just those little things, Chad. I really love about this show. Those little. little I'm things. glad. I mean, I mean, Zoe's. What I mean, she's a she's a obviously incredibly talented actress, but she's also a mom, and and so she just you know, if you're a parent, those those things hit you differently. It doesn't matter like how old your kid is, or even like if you had a son, not a daughter. Like you just watch that, and you put your child in that character in that moment. And I know that she did that. I've never asked her that, but I but I know that she did that. Yeah. Um, and and it's you know. It, What's 
on a smaller scale, people go through, all of us go through struggles like that, where maybe you're aware that your child is maybe not physically hurting, but is sad on some day at school and you have a job to do and you have to do that job. And that job is important to your family as well, because it brings in the money that puts the food on the table or pays the rent or the mortgage or what have you. So, you know, her job is, is um, you know, in the show is, is life and death and it's national security, but it's a struggle that every parent or person with the, who has you know, people that they're responsible for faces. And so the university universality and that's not a word it's something we all feel it's something we all experience i get it and it's one of the things that i actually like about taylor's shows is that for as grand a spectacle might be from time to time there's stories about parents people in love people worried about death people worried about um you know their their sister brother mom dad and and so you can relate to his stories and his characters because he's writing about writing about things that we all experience just on different levels and maybe like not as grand but we've all been there you know what I mean? Right, like, right. So I think that's where the connection to me, I've, I've had time to think about this. I believe that's where at least some of the connection to his stories comes from for people. My, yeah, my favorite show of the year by far. Um, loved it. Awesome. Uh, the other one I want to tell you about is 1923, right? So I absolutely love 1923. I wish sense. the Africa parts, I wish that was a ma- major motion picture. I wish that yeah. part was because I, it's got a very out of Africa feel to it. It look, It's maybe the most stunning piece of television I've seen that's not in the theater like i feel like i couldn't believe what i was watching i was like are you kidding yeah me? i couldn't believe the footage that came in and i appreciate you saying that i mean it's it's funny you say theater because we actually did talk about it for a while there was a discussion about do we maybe try to put these uh episodes into movie theaters first and then put them on tv i mean it was it was discussed the the, the scope and the the scale of that show was was astounding and we had crews that went all over africa we were in you know South Africa, Tanzania. I mean, we went to we went all over the place. We had a um, a bee unit that was just went and shot animals for two weeks, and so wow. all of those animals that you see, like the zebras, the elephants, and and we had drones and, and helicopters and all that stuff, and they were just capturing animals and scenics and all of that. And the the work that all of that work pays off, and that you just really feel immersed in that place in a way that that, like you say, is not common in a television show, certainly. Um, it is grand and epic. And, and um, I had the good fortune of actually seeing some of it in a movie theater because we did our premiere um, at the, at the wind at, at the wind theater. And so oh, we, nice. we had in a movie theater for 500 yeah. people. And that was when we premiered it uh, in December of last year. So seeing it there and I got to see it, you know, cause I had to do the tech screenings for a few times. So I got to see it a few times in a theater. I'm like, man, this is how this show should be seen. I wish Absolutely. I could just bring everybody here, <laughs> all millions of people here and have them watch it. So uh, yeah, very, very special show and a real commitment to, to making that, to, to giving it that feel on behalf of the studio, Taylor and everybody. It's an incredible I experience. How, I don't know how Taylor writes all, like I, I read somewhere where he's just always writing. I don't know how he does it. Like, I could barely hold my life together with like two kids and a job mm-hmm. and podcasting. I mean, I love my life, but it's like mm-hmm. I can't imagine having like his life and writing or yeah. your life and all the busy busyness surrounding yeah. that. But you know, um, when it comes to Yellowstone, right? A lot of question marks and, and so forth. But mm-hmm. looking at what's come before this, mm-hmm. that it's been such a wonderful show. Like I, I can't remember this this many people being drawn. Like they just showed it on CBS. Right, because I'm actually doing those CBS cuts. One of the things I'm doing right now is that I have to take the Yellowstones that we made originally, and I have to reformat them to air on CBS. So there are there are different standards and practices. Uh, you're not allowed to say certain words on CBS that you can yeah. say on Paramount Network, and I usually have to take out two or three minutes per episode. So I'm literally like in the middle of that process right now. When I'm done talking to you, I'm going to go back to doing. How it. tough is that, Chad? Because there's a lot of apps it's you have not to as take tough out. as you might think. Um, and really, a lot of why it's not tough comes from my um, background as reality editor, just like editing dialogue and, and doing all those kinds of things. Um, 
uh, it comes very, very naturally to me. So I was worried about it when they pitched it. I was like, oh, geez, how the hell are we going to do that? And then I started getting into it. And I was like, okay, this isn't, this isn't that bad. I mean, we also, what we did is we reconstituted the editing project. So like I have access to every piece of footage that I had access to when I was cutting the show originally in season one. So because of that, you're not tied to, you know, like usually when you see a movie and it's been like dubbed for broadcast, they can't change the picture. So you get a lot of mother flubbers or you, you know, this, that, what, <laughs> they have to put all these stupid words in for the swear words. Yeah. We don't have to do that because I can, I'm, I'm allowed to re-edit the show and take the profanity out in a way that hides it where you, like, you wouldn't even necessarily know that it was ever there. So um, when you watch it and, and I, you know, I, I show all of the cuts to Taylor before we approve them and send them off to CBS, but we, he and I are watching and we're like, yeah, that still feels like Yellowstone. And I'm proud of, I'm proud of the fact that that show holds up even with, with some of, some of the things taken out, some of the more objectionable things taken out. Um, and then really off. like a lot of the picture that we doesn't have to change. I mean, the violence is, is kind of funnily enough, like allowed <laughs> to be as violent as it was. And, and almost 7 million people watched that first episode. I heard that. I was so happy to hear that. That's insane. New, new... That's yeah, insane. It is. It is. It's it's a show that has a, a, a ridiculous reach. And, you know, look, I've, I've, I've said this before. We were just kind of making it for a couple of years and it had a following and a nice following. And then um, it just exploded into this pop culture phenomenon that um, is really gratifying, not because it just because it means that people are connecting to it, you know, and that's if you do this for a living, if you're in the business of entertainment, hell, having an audience and having them connect to something that you've done is, is the greatest gift. It's the biggest thrill. It's why we all do it. So I'm 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 thrilled to have been a part of that show from the very beginning and and uh and it's it's been amazing to watch how people have responded to it so yeah what i mean who, who would have thought right you never know what's going to land with people but it really has yeah a few more questions chad thank you for all the yeah, time i really of appreciate course. it so so I, I don't know if this is a question better for taylor but i think you're qualified to answer it because you've probably seen him quite a bit mm -hmm. what it, taylor must absolutely love james jordan he must he must think the world of him as an actor because he's in everything. Wind River, he's in. I don't have that up on the screen, but like it's amazing yeah. the faith he has. I mean, it goes back to his faith, like in you uh, mm -hmm. and other people that he. But he really loves the way James Jordan brings his presence to the screen, or something. James Jordan uh, is a very good dude, and yeah, they're friends. I mean, like Taylor, when when someone is in his orbit, Taylor is one of the most loyal guys I have ever known, um, and I've personally benefited from that for sure. Uh, for the last six years and um, you know a lot of the actors will come in and, and like Don Olivieri who was in 1883 as the sister and then is like kind of the femme fatale in season five of Yellowstone yeah you know stunning, he just yeah. when he and she's a fantastic actress a wonderful mm -hmm. person but when he has the opportunity to to kind of you know and, and directors do this they'll have like their stable of, of of actors that they that they go to whenever they can um, and so yeah James Jordan is one of those guys for Taylor great guy very versatile really funny um, always trying stuff. He actually, in my mind, has the best moment in Those Who Wish Me Dead. I cut that movie for Taylor, his last Another great movie, Angelina yeah. Jolie. And he has this moment towards the end of the movie that just makes me cry every time I see it when he has when he finds uh, the woman at the end and her husband is, has died. Mm. Um, so he's just a really versatile, wonderful guy. And, and he fits into a lot of what Taylor needs. He's in 1883. He's the cook who gets shot up with all the arrows. And stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it goes, you know, loyalty is one way to look at it. And just when he finds someone that is, that is talented, he just wants to use them as as often and everywhere that he can. So, and he can and he can, and he can clearly handle it too. So, yeah, yeah, he can. He can do just about anything. That guy. Uh, last question: What is your uh, favorite? Um, if, if this is a, it's probably an unfair question, what is your favorite uh, Taylor Sheridan moment in any project? Is there a scene that you like more than? Is is there anything that sticks with you over your time with him? Are there a couple of things as far as scenes and and, and moments on film? 
It's actually not a hard question. Uh, the last the last five minutes of 1883 is probably my favorite thing that I've ever done wow. in my career as an editor. And um, I, I cry every time I watch it and I edit it like I and I cried when I read it. And so for those that haven't seen it, I mean, spoiler alert, but this, the, the main character dies and we've seen um, we've seen her fall in love and, and defend her family and become a warrior. Um, she dies. And then we, we see, we see the postscript of what's happened to all these folks. Um, and we see, uh, you know, LaMonica Garrett's character and staking his land and, and all of that um, with, the, with his new family, with his, the woman that he loves and her two children. And then we see um, the episode is titled, this is not your heaven. That's what episode 10 is titled of 1883. That's just, it was titled that way from the very beginning. And then we see, Elsa in her version of heaven and what that is to her. And it's so beautifully done and so beautifully written. And I remember reading it going like, holy hell, if we can execute this half as well as it's written, we've really got something. And we did. We really did. Ben Richardson directed that. Uh, we see the, the, you know, that she's with the man she loves. And like, that is her version of the afterlife. That is how she, that is how she is spending the rest of eternity. And it is just this, uh, it's really, really beautiful and very satisfying. And I am um, incredibly, proud of it and it gives me chills to even think about it so yeah that that whole series was really special um i got to be on set a lot i got to know that cast really well i was screening for them all the time that experience was tremendous and i think it's that that piece of work is the best thing that that we have done together in my opinion yeah great answer uh chad thank you for all your hard work i certainly my appreciate pleasure. it yeah you're, you're you're super talented at what you do and thank you so much for this time thanks for having me really good yeah. to talk to you take care Thank you for listening to Derek Thomas and Monday Morning Critic Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can also connect with Monday Morning Critic on Instagram and Facebook, MDM Critic on Twitter, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found. All episodes available, www.mmcpodcast.com.